0: whether people who want answers ask questions. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? You know, if it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg, and this is going to be an episode that looks at prayer, but it looks at prayer from a particularly personal perspective. So I want to lead off with just a quick set of introductions both to this podcast and to Inappropriate Conversations, and to past times that I've dealt with either prayer on Walk the Earth or the story that I want to share today on Inappropriate Conversations. It's a central part of my experience of both religion and spirituality, but also human relationships. So I've hit it from multiple angles over many different uh, years on this podcast and on Inappropriate Conversations. But I wanted to share it this week on walk the earth because I recently shared this as a personal testimony in church The church service was built around the idea of people giving something of a a TED talk or a moth storytelling talk if you will about their personal faith experience and I realized that when the request was for it to be truly that formative personal faith experience that there was really only one story I, I could tell. That would rise to that level and that would fit that bill. And that's what this walk the earth is all about. Ostensibly looking at the question of whether people who want answers ask questions. But first introductions for people who may be relatively new to the podcast and to me, uh, IC underscore Greg. I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at hotmail.com for correspondence. I do respond, uh, when I get emails. The podcast itself, though, comes from Inappropriate Conversations. At uh, www.inappropriateconversations.org is the place where both Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations podcasts can be found. Inappropriate Conversations dates back to March of 2010, Walk the Earth, more of an August 2013 starting point. The About page at that website for Inappropriate Conversations says this, Too often, political, And or religious ideologies stop open dialogue. It's time to speak freely and break down the barriers that keep people separated. Let's have an inappropriate conversation about. And then each week, there is a topic with somebody I call out as a different drummer. Walk the Earth is a spinoff of the Inappropriate Conversations podcast. It addresses how we do church as Christians. I originally envisioned it to be a podcast about Christianity for other Christians. But I've found over the years that many people who don't have much experience with Christianity at all, who are relatively unfamiliar with the church, have found Walk the Earth to be interesting in part because it peels away the curtain and offers a glimpse inside that they may never choose to get on their own. And the questions that I'm asking don't just apply to people who attend church. I actually wish the questions that I asked on Walk the Earth were asked more freely and more often by people within the church. It might be possibly true that the things I'm considering are more of a question for people who fall outside the church, and maybe the lack of answers is one of the dividing lines that keep people separated, to keep people outside of the church. So that's essentially what these two podcasts are about today, Walk the Earth. I cannot, at the time of this recording, predict either when the next Inappropriate Conversations podcast will be, Or when the next Walk the Earth podcast will be. I don't have the next Walk the Earth question queued up. And I know with the holidays approaching, it could be a little bit tricky predicting when I'm going to record next. A few years ago, if you go to the website and kind of scroll through the archives, or look at past months of November and December, especially a couple years back, maybe even three years back, I've done podcasts for both uh, Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations that focused on Christmas. So there's holiday material that I probably will simply retweet. I can be found on Twitter at IC underscore Greg. Uh, There's a page on Facebook for Walk the Earth as a podcast and a separate page for Inappropriate Conversations as a podcast. And I share links to episodes as they get posted there. The other place that I uh, interact with people is on SoundCloud. I've dropped the ball a little lately, but I intend to pick it back up perhaps during this holiday period of putting clips of the oldest shows and moving my way forward in time so people who want an audio hint and not just a blurb about what a particular question or an inappropriate conversations podcast might be about can listen to a few minutes or in some cases many minutes to get a sense of the individual show. Now one of the things that occurred to me as I was preparing for this particular uh, recording, for this particular question, was the way prayer has been misused here lately. I've answered questions about prayer on Walk the Earth before, most recently Walk the Earth 39, whether prayer is an act of futility or simply beyond our comprehension, and the way prayer is often used for political reasons. I also remember raising a question early on, maybe the first year or the beginning part of the second year of the show, of dealing with the question of whether or not prayer should be more than just uh, traveling mercies and worried over the health of, of friends and family, that uh, Walk the Earth 19 was whether travel, health, rain, and other hopes should be the primary focus of prayer, that maybe prayer is different from that. Maybe it's bigger than that. And the last past Walk the Earth question I'll, I'll shout out to is Walk the Earth 41. This particular one was October of 2016. It's the last time that I shared a message before my current church in a congregational setting. And I'm going to do the same thing today that I did then and sort of recreate it for the purposes of the podcast. Now, one of the things I'm going to do to recreate this particular talk, if you will, is to make certain things anonymous, uh, to uh, take some names out, to uh, maybe blur a little bit in terms of place, because I want to be consistent with the past times that I've told this story on Inappropriate Conversations. I'll drop just a few examples there as well. If people want to hear the piece I'm going to share today from a different perspective, the first time I talked about this, uh, this moment of intersexual friendship, this moment of epiphany and even answered prayer was Inappropriate Conversations 44. I called it Sacred Friendship. Came out in late January of 2011. A year later, I had some of the same material. Inappropriate Conversations 79 was in January of 2012 and number 80 was in February, just so, just back-to-back episodes straddling the months of January and February. I ended Inappropriate conversation 79 on a bit of a cliffhanger that I picked up a few months later in May of 2012 on Inappropriate Conversations 90. And I told some of the rest of the story, or the story surrounding this particular story, on a two-parter that was dealing with the question that was posed to me a few years ago, where would I be without God? One of the answers was on Inappropriate Conversations 117, April of 2013. The one that's more personal, the one that ties into the material I want to share today, was Inappropriate Conversations 118, also April of 2013. So I've hit this material in lots of ways and from many different angles. But maybe only one time previous to this year had I shared it in front of a congregation and one of the things that occurred to me while i was working my way through the material and preparing for the talk itself was how a story that is so relevant to the question of well answered prayer something that would connect you think with a church pretty well uh you know i i'm some for whatever reason i'm hesitant to to bring it up and maybe that'll be obvious from the way i kind of tell the story the other thing is this concept of thoughts and prayers. And I think that maybe the, the title that I used for this message in church is a good, you know, challenge to pose back to people who, when someone walks into a church and shoots, you know, dozens of people and kills, you know, dozens of people, that maybe thoughts and prayers as a knee jerk response isn't the best way to answer that event. That it reads far too often like a there, there, just be quiet. Uh, This isn't going to be something we're going to get serious about or respond to seriously. It feels like a rubber stamp in some ways. And my experience of prayer rails against that, that I take prayer far more seriously for reasons that I'm going to share uh, in the rest of this Walk the Earth question and answer. But to me, the the notion of, well, if, if you want to talk about thoughts and prayers, then my thought is, well, what question are you trying to get an answer for? Because... People who want answers ask questions. People who want answers of the Lord pray about it. So if you're praying, what answers are you looking for? And if you are looking for an answer and praying to find the answer, then when will you share with the rest of us what that answer is? There's a section in uh, the book of James, chapter 2, talking about faith without works, being hollow, being empty, being meaningless, being dead. He basically says, you say you're going to show me your faith. I say, show me your faith by your works. If you truly are praying over issues about gun-related violence and uh, domestic terrorist attacks and things of that nature, then you ought to be anticipating an answer. And you ought to be taking the answers you get seriously. And you probably ought not be taking the Lord's name in vain by pretending to pray as uh, some sort of, again, a rubber stamp statement of sorts. So let me introduce this particular section with the scripture that I put into the bulletin, for want of a better word, for the church service that day. Because I thought, if I'm going to deal with the question of answered prayer, and if I'm going to suggest that it is possible that perhaps to misuse the term, somehow supernaturally God can intervene, Um, What does that look like from a biblical perspective? And there are two particular passages that I shared that day in church that are directly relevant. So I'll start with scripture, and then I'll get into the podcast version of this particular message. First, some background from Acts chapter three and part of chapter four. One day, Peter and John went to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon, the hour for prayer. There at the beautiful gate, as it was called, was a man who had been lame all his life. Every day he was carried to the gate to beg for money from the people who were going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John going in, he begged them to give him something. They looked straight at him, and Peter said, look at us. He looked at them, expecting something from them, but Peter said to him, I have no money at all, but I give what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I order you to get up and walk. Then he took him by the right hand and helped him up. At once, the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and started walking around. Then he went into the temple with them, walking and jumping and praising God. The people there saw him walking and praising God, and when they recognized him as the beggar who sat at the beautiful gate, they were all surprised and amazed at what had happened to him. As the man held on to Peter and John in Solomon's porch, as it was called, the people were amazed and ran to them. When Peter saw the people, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why are you surprised at this? And why do you stare at us? Do you think that it was by means of our own power or godliness that we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has given divine glory to his servant Jesus. But you handed him over to the authorities, And you rejected him in Pilate's presence, even after Pilate had decided to set him free. He was holy and good, but you rejected him. And instead you asked Pilate to do you the favor of turning loose a murderer. You killed the one who leads to life. But God raised him from death. And we are witnesses to this. It was the power of his name that gave the strength to this lame man. What you see and know was done by faith in his name. It was faith in Jesus that has made him well, as you can all see. And now, my fellow Israelites, I know that what you and your leaders did to Jesus was due to your ignorance. God announced long ago through all the prophets that his Messiah had to suffer, and he made it come true in this way. Repent, then, and turn to God so that he will forgive your sins. If you do, times of spiritual strength will come from the Lord, And he will send Jesus, who is the Messiah, he has already chosen for you. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for all things to be made new, as God announced through his holy prophets who lived long ago. For Moses said, The Lord your God will send you a prophet just as he sent me, and he will be one of your own people. You are to obey everything that he tells you to do. Anyone who does not obey that prophet shall be separated from God's people and destroyed. And all the prophets who had a message, including Samuel and those who came after him, also announced what has been happening these days. The promises of God through his prophets are for you, and you share in the covenant which God made with your ancestors. And he said to Abraham, through your descendants, I will bless all the people on earth. And so God chose his servant and sent him first to you to bless you by making every one of you turn away from your wicked ways. Peter and John were still speaking to the people when some priests, the officer in charge of the temple guards, and some Sadducees arrived. They were annoyed because the two apostles were teaching the people that Jesus had risen from death, which proved that the dead will rise to life. So they arrested them and put them in jail until the next day since it was already late. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about five thousand. The next day, the Jewish leaders, the elders, and the teachers of the law gathered in Jerusalem. They met with the high priest Annas, and with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others who belonged to the high priest's family. They made the apostles stand before them and asked them, How did you do this? What power have you got, or whose name did you use? Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, answered them, Leaders of the people and elders, If we are being questioned today about the good deed done to the lame man and how he was healed, then you should all know, and all the people of Israel should know, that this man stands here before you completely well through the power of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from death. Jesus is the one of whom the scripture says, the stone that you builders despise turned out to be the most important of all. Salvation is to be found through him alone. In all the world there was no one else. Whom God has given, who can save us? The members of the council were amazed to see how bold Peter and John were, and to learn that they were ordinary men of no education. They realized then that they had been companions of Jesus. But there was nothing they could say, because they saw the man who had been healed standing there with Peter and John. So they told them to leave the council room, and then they started discussing amongst themselves. What shall we do with these men? they asked. Everyone in Jerusalem knows that this extraordinary miracle has been performed by them, and we cannot deny it. But to keep this matter from spreading further among the people, let us warn these men never again to speak to anyone in the name of Jesus. So they called them back in and told them that on no condition were they to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, You yourselves judge which is right in God's sight, to obey you or to obey God. For we cannot stop speaking of what we ourselves have seen and heard. So the council warned them even more strongly and then set them free. They saw that it was impossible to punish them because the people were all praising God for what had happened. The man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was over 40 years old. Acts chapter 3 in its entirety and chapter 4 verses 1 through 22. All that is really to provide some context for what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. This, when they bring you to be tried in the synagogues or before the governors or rulers, do not be worried about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Hello, I'm Greg, inviting you to an inappropriate conversation about politics, religion, sex, and popular culture. We have not been served well by the old adage that says these things should not be discussed. You can find the Inappropriate Conversations podcast at iTunes or at InappropriateConversations.org. Music by Kevin McLeod. I have shared this story before on Inappropriate Conversations, parts of IC 79 and 80, to be precise, in January and February of 2012. I've mentioned parts before here on Walk the Earth in the past. I want to focus on it today, though, and properly answer this question, whether people who want answers ask questions, if only because it was recently a topic at my church. It seemed appropriate to tell it again here. One quick note before I start, though. I'm using nicknames in this storytelling as I have in the past. Part of that is gladly using terms of endearment. Another part is avoiding the confusion that can come when two people from my past and within this story have the same name. And there's also a hint of names being changed to protect the innocent. If you want to know more about nicknames like Spider, I recommend Inappropriate Conversations number 80, Revelation Weekend, from February 2012. So here is my story, my witness, if you will. It's early March, 1982, my senior year in high school, and I'm sitting across a table from my friend Marcy... At Wendy's. School has just let out. Realizing that something was wrong in recent weeks, she insisted that I come with her. She also insisted that I tell her what is going on, why I am so distracted. I'm trying to find a way to explain to her that I feel like I'm developing the ability to see the future. It's not easy to not tell her this. I simply say that I've become increasingly aware of things that I cannot possibly know it happens. Years later, my interpretation of events would become more spiritual and less esoteric. God was trying to get my attention. I blame myself. I had been praying, seeking help, even asking for guidance. I learned something about my relationship with the Lord in 1982. God doesn't take no for an answer all that readily sometimes jump forward in time to November 1986. It started happening again. Although this time, the problem preceded the prayers. I'm comfortable saying that the Holy Spirit has navigated my life more than just twice, but those other times I was comfortable with the illusion that I was still in the driver's seat. Not these times. This is a story about answered prayer. The last of my two senior years in college started in August of 1986. I started feeling something that I hadn't dealt with since 1982. I can recall telling my roommates, I feel like I'm on the verge of something triumphant. No, they didn't know what to do with that. Neither did I. I even told the couple I met when he was moving into the apartment on the other side of us, I first noticed this feeling right after meeting them. In fact, Stuart and Anne. Didn't know what to do with that either. It persisted. But for months, nothing happened. In November, my parents told me that we'd be visiting my aunt in Colorado for Thanksgiving, and the weekend would include a short ski trip for us kids. I say kids, ages 20 through 26, give or take. Let's just say that I'm not particularly built for skiing. Even then, I wasn't sure if a single day on the slopes would give me enough time to scale the learning curve. Worse... I became convinced, like seeing the future convinced, that I was going to fall off the ski lift. There was a lot going on that November. I was second choice for editor-in-chief of my college newspaper, so I was about to become managing editor instead. I was making wedding plans with my wife, or my wife was making wedding plans. I was hiring a group of news writers who would report to me. It was also the last semester for me with a full slate of classes, because I kind of coasted through that spring term. But two things were nagging at me. First, I had nothing to show for that feeling about some epiphany heading my way. Honestly, I was feeling a bit less on the verge of something triumphant with each passing day. Second, I knew I was going on a ski trip with my fiancé, brother, and two sisters, and I knew I was going to fall off the ski lift. Long story shorter than I usually tell it, I spent the whole day as a novice ski student riding the toe lift instead of the chairs, hanging out on the bunny trail exclusively. No harm done. Fast forward a little bit to January 1987 and the start of the last semester. First week in the newsroom, first interactions with some of the younger students who are now my reporters, one of them, Spider, apologized for being late for a meeting She was having a hard time recovering from an accident over Christmas break. I'll let you guess what happened to her. Some background. My issue in high school involved a bizarrely tangible form of empathy. Rumors were spreading wildly about a girl I barely knew and her experimentation with a dangerous drug. I never learned if those rumors were true, but it didn't matter. Either she had a drug problem and some intervention would be prudent... Or she was the victim of a massive character assassination, and some intervention would be prudent. I'd prayed about it, and I believe this tangible empathy was an answer to that prayer. With Spider, years later, I couldn't shake the familiar feeling. I will never know why, but I asked instinctively if mild injuries coming from a fall off a ski lift was the only problem she was struggling with. I think I was anticipating the need to provide professional advice. Anything from her student government beat, for example. I know I can't claim that I knew her well enough to have earned her answers. No, that's the least of it, she told me. She wasn't getting along with her roommate. Turns out, she said, her roommate is taking Paul's side in everything. She needs someone to talk to. She hasn't eaten in days. It's already affecting her studies. Who is Paul? I asked. He's my former fiancé, now boyfriend, soon to be friend. She told me, matter-of-factly. Suddenly, falling off the ski lift seemed as distant as 1982 to me. I didn't know what to do, but I knew I was going to pray about it. Have you ever gone on what I call the walk before? I'm not talking about exercise, either. No, not bunny slope Greg. This is more like just a closer walk with thee. More like the hymn. That night, right after the evening news, I realized that my crowded apartment was not going to provide me the kind of closet Jesus preached about in the Sermon on the Mount. If I wanted to be alone with the Lord, I was going to have to walk. At my university, the campus was what's often called a walking campus. Once you cross certain streets, you're in an almost car-free zone. There are well-maintained sidewalks. At this time of night, a lot of empty classrooms and just the right amount of electric path lights punctuated by the occasional blue emergency telephone. Safety first. Even before this experience, I always took prayer very seriously. I'm not a pledge of allegiance to God kind of guy. While I recognize the power in circle prayers and popcorn prayers and other forms of group supplication, I'm actually more comfortable with silent prayer. I took to the sidewalks this night... Because I wanted to be alone. People who want answers ask questions. So often, people externalize prayers. It's for someone else, or about someone else. And make no mistake, this night in January 1987, you could easily say that my prayers were about someone else Spider. If I was being called to act, then why and how? Oh, let's be honest. It was the whole Journalism 101 suite of questions. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Here's the difference, though. I really wanted answers for me, too. I'd seen in 1982 how things can go sideways by ignoring a calling. I didn't want that to happen again. Misunderstandings, accusations, hurt feelings. Why did I care, for example? Or how is any of this your business? It's just not the right time to declare that you can see the future so i wanted to do better i was fully connecting the dots between the feeling that some defining moment was going to happen that year and the time seemed nigh so how in an hour-long walk through a deserted campus do you put that into prayer well first very few words at all actually i probably only spoke one sentence that entire time Aloud, no doubt, as a muttering of sorts. Second, that prayer in the form of a question is phenomenally simple and powerful as long as you truly mean it. What would you have me do? That's it. Lord, what would you have me do? I wanted the answer. I asked this question. This is my witness. To my shame, I rarely share it as openly as this. I work around the moment of truth because I find it intimidating. I have heard an answer to prayer. Heard it. aloud. Yes, but I'm spoiling the rest of the story. On this night, leaving campus, passing the fraternity houses, making my way back to my apartment, I did not hear an answer out loud. That said, I was certain my prayer was answered. What would you have me do, Lord? One, write Spider a letter. She needs to know she is not alone. Two, give her telephone numbers for both your apartment and your fiancé's apartment. She needs options if she's fighting with her roommate and two doors down from a crumbling romantic relationship. And three, watch closely and figure out a way to get her to eat. Seek out the sacrament of shared food and drink. Okay. There's God's wisdom, man's wisdom, and then mine is down here somewhere. Why do I say that? I wrote Spider a letter, but I worried. Voices from my past echoed in. Why did I care? What does he think he's up to? There's no such thing as a truly platonic friendship between genders. I wanted Marcy's voice to be stronger. She cared and she didn't care why. We were that so-called impossible friendship, but the other voices led me to keep that letter to myself. Okay, what about the telephone numbers? I was looking for the right moment, one that wouldn't be supervisor to employee. And we all know the common denominator in all so-called perfect moments. They never arrive. So what about food and drink? The previous editor-in-chief of the school newspaper was hosting a party on Friday night, February 6, 1987, and all current and former newspaper students were invited. So one of the photographers, with my encouragement, invited Spider to double date to this party with my fiancé and me. It was more about the drink than it was about the food, truth be told. And I could tell that truth with complete clarity because I was the designated driver. You know, I've told this story at a men's retreat before. I referred to my actions as partial obedience to answered prayer. That seems very generous in retrospect. A better description might be big mistake. I drank mostly water. Cheryl, my fiancee, drank some, enough to socialize with, to her, mostly strangers. The photographer and spider drank a lot, and she was less in control than he was. By the time we were back at my apartment, where he had left his car, it was very clear that the photographer was willing to take advantage of this situation. Who was she going to turn to if the night went as wrong as it could have? Her roommate? Her ex-fiance? She did not have the intended contact information for Cheryl or me. And would this be the push that turns passive self-harm-like situational anorexia into something worse? I didn't have the first clue what to do, but my apartment was empty for a change, and the four of us were getting along well, so I put on some music and started some conversation. We laughed about the ski lift stories, mine and hers, and I suggested that they might be connected somehow. I told them all that I felt like something amazing might happen this year. The night I met Stuart and Anne, just moving in, I told those strangers that I felt like I was on the verge of something triumphant. Still felt that way, now more than ever. Spider stopped me to ask about Stuart and Anne. She knew Stuart's last name, and I recognized it. She also knew the last name of his fiance Anne, which I did not know. Stuart's Anne was Spider's roommate. Nervous laughter ensued. Well, that makes sense, I told the room, perhaps trying to convince myself. This is not the weirdest thing that's happened to me. Not this, and not the ski lift. I can't explain it, but when you open yourself up, enough to love someone the way God does, sometimes you get a glimpse into the future. You know things you couldn't otherwise know. An introduction that can start a relationship. The kind of friendship that maybe only Jesus understands. I said something like that. It's been 30 years, you know, so paraphrasing. Spider got a look on her face that I will never forget. She leaned forward and said, You don't know how much I wish I was someone you loved like that. My answer? You have no idea. I meant that she had no idea that I was seeing her as precisely that sort of friend. She had no idea that I'd written a letter saying as much, referring directly to my relationship with Marcy. She had no idea that the photographer thought she was a sure thing that night and was thrilled that she couldn't stand seeing Anne and agreed to stay at his place instead. So I mumbled, you have no idea. Think about that. In a brief moment of clarity in that was Friday, now early Saturday morning, she opened up to me with, You don't know how much I wish I was someone you loved like that. And my answer, you have no idea. Great. But there was no time to make it right, because I was busy praying. I might have been praying aloud, because I was just desperate and just didn't care. What would you have me do, Lord? I asked again, perhaps mocking myself in the process. What now? Clear as day, I heard "'It's far better to say something that should not be said "'than not to say something that should be said. "'Audible enough that I was looking around "'to see if Cheryl or any of the others had heard it. "'It freaked me out, but I was too engaged to let that stop me. "'What?' I asked, aloud, confused, incredulous. "'You should have given her the letter. "'I was being called out for my cowardice. "'So what if she misunderstood?' explain. But how could I build upon a conversation that never started now? It's too late, I said to myself. The letter is in my stuff at work. I glanced at my watch. It was 1.37 a.m. Central Standard Time on Saturday, February 7th, 1987. It's not too late, I heard, still audibly but quieter than before. You can write it again. All you need is an opportunity." Just then, the photographer stood up, announced that he needed to use the restroom, making sure that no one needed to go ahead of him, implying that he might be in there for a while. I kid you not. In fact, I've told this story without the word kid in that sense. I shit you not. He turned the corner. Spider leaned over to say something to Cheryl, probably noting the bizarre behavior from her date on a first date. I bolted for the kitchen grabbed a pen and some scratch paper, and rewrote a two-page typewritten letter in about two and a half sentences. On the back, I put our phone numbers. Uh, My fiancé's place would have been a better safe haven, maybe, uh, if the worst happened, but I included both numbers. With time running out as I perceived it, I knelt on the floor between the couch where Spider was sitting, the love seat where my fiancé was sitting, and while handing Spider the note, I tried to speak words of warning to her about the difference between her perception of spending the night at his place and the photographer's perception. My words were not English. I don't speak a foreign language. I don't know what language it was. I looked at Cheryl, and with a glance, she confirmed that gibberish was indeed gibberish. Spider somehow understood perfectly what I'm absolutely certain I did not successfully say. No, she replied, not tonight. I'll be fine. That's where I stopped the story before my congregation. Of course, there is more, but I didn't want to veer too far away from February 7th, 1987 at one thirty-seven a.m. Did I speak in tongues for the first time, and so far the only time in my life? Maybe. Was the photographer a good guy after all? Yes, Spider was right. She was okay. What answers have I gotten if I'm so sure that people who want answers ask questions? Well, it's far better to say something that should not be said than not to say something that should be said. I eventually spoke, formed an amazing friendship, and still live in a future where I have heard answered prayer. There is a time for everything, a season for strong symbiotic friendship, and there is a time when God has other plans. Perhaps other people he wants me to, to befriend instead. I haven't spoken with Spider in decades. So it goes. I'm still connected to Marcy through Facebook. From that winter night in 1987 until today, I refer to this as Revelation Weekend. And though I doubt I'll ever know, I wonder if Spider still does too. If and as you were led... Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we see prayer abused so for so often these days. Used as an excuse to not engage in necessary dialogue about the crises that face us this day and age. We see it being, you know, morphed into a pledge of allegiance as if it's more important that we be seen praying than we actually share our thoughts with you and ask for your guidance. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. Forgive me for any part I may play in that laziness as well, because I have no excuse. I have been in that moment, and I have felt your presence and heard, for want of a better word, your voice. Lord, I thank you for that nudging. And I note the irony, even now, that having been told that it's better to speak up and explain later than to not speak up when the time is right. I so often hesitate to share this story. So few people really know, including my parents and my wife's parents, so few people truly know that this is my experience, that this is my walk. And Lord, I challenge so few people to ask what you've got in mind for them, to ask that prayer what would you have me do? Lord, I know one of the answers to that question. What you would have me do is to be less careful, less fearful, less cautious about sharing my story than my experiences. And Lord, I thank you for the people who were part of my life at the time these things happened. And I'm thankful that some of them are back in my life and I view them, even their very presence as an encouragement that sacred history is allowed to be told, Lord. We we covered a lot of you know words from the Acts of the Apostles today, and from Luke's Gospel. Um, these sacred words, which were meant to be shared, meant to be told, Lord. It's with certain amount of temerity that I suggest that I should thank you for giving me a story as well, and ask for your encouragement to speak the words more often to recognize that maybe other people and not just me need to know that sometimes the right thing to do is speak up in your heavenly name i pray amen what happened this morning man i agree it was peculiar but water into wine all shapes and sizes vincent you shouldn't talk to me that way man if my answers frighten you vincent then you should cease asking scary questions Happy holidays to everyone. If I don't have a walk the earth before Christmas time this year, I will see you on the other side. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.